She had, of course, left the door open, for she knew that it is a very silly thing to shut oneself into a wardrobe. It seemed to be still daylight there. I can always get back if anything goes wrong, thought Lucy. She began to walk forward, crunch, crunch, over the snow, through the wood, toward the other light. In about ten minutes, she reached it and found it was a lamppost. As she stood looking at it, wondering why there was a lamppost in the middle of a wood, and wondering what to do next, she heard a pitter-patter of feet coming towards her. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcaster. We are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I am Kel. And I'm Chase. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, Just a reminder that we are talking for the first time, Chase, about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, though that they've been mentioned before. This is our first time talking about the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, uh, you know, general spoiler warning for the Narnia series in this book in particular, and we will try to give spoiler warnings for any particularly egregious spoilers, uh, and just a fair warning that we will go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy uh, but we'll try to give do our best to give spoiler warnings for anything that we feel is very spoiler worthy uh, along the way uh, for if there's anything, you know, that's too far out there. But today, as I've mentioned, we are discussing chapter one of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lucy looks into a wardrobe. She does indeed. I will give us a chapter summary today. Um, so once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. They were sent to live in the house of an old professor, wonder who that could be, in the country because of the air raids, because it's World War II times. Um, the children immediately liked the professor, with the boys saying, this is the sort of place that they'll be able to do anything they like. They agree before they go to bed to go exploring in the countryside the next day to see what kinds of places and animals they can find. Of course, the next morning they wake up and find it raining. Edmund complains, Susan recommends they read books, but Peter is set on exploring the house. So they all decide that exploring is the right move, and it is a huge house to explore. Some rooms have art and coats of armor, others have huge books, bigger than Bibles. One room is empty, except for a wardrobe. Three of the children move on from the empty room, but Lucy, the youngest, is is drawn to the wardrobe. It opened easily and was filled with fur coats, which... Lucy loves the smell of for some reason. She steps inside to feel the warm fur and then is surprised to find a second row of coats hanging behind them. She took a step further, expecting to find the back of the wardrobe with her fingers, but instead she began to feel something cold and crunchy beneath her feet. And Suddenly the fur of the coats began to be prickly like tree branches, and she found herself standing in the middle of a snowy wood at nighttime. She looked back behind her and could still see through the wardrobe into the empty room she had come from, and so she began to walk into the woods, with snow crunching beneath her feet, and after several minutes came upon a lamppost. She stood looking at it, wondering why there was a lamppost in the middle of a wood, then heard footsteps as a strange person came out from the trees. He was only a little taller than Lucy, and he carried over his head an umbrella, From the waist upward, he was like a man, but his legs were shaped like a goat's with hoofed feet. He had a red scarf around his neck and short pointed beard and two little horns coming out of his forehead. He was a fawn. And when he saw Lucy, he gave such a start of surprise that he dropped all of his parcels, exclaiming, Good gracious me! 
Well, Chase, we made it. We're here. We the are. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in chapter one of this book, we are already going to get both into Narnia through the wardrobe. Like, Thank God. Like, after, after last book, where he takes a few, like, he, you know, he dilly-dallies a little bit of, like, really getting stuff set in. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't play around with this book. And yeah, a little more, more Tolkien-esque in the first book. Or, yeah, I guess, sixth book. However you want to interpret it. So, you know, this is, as, a, as we mentioned before, but we'll reiterate for anyone who might be just joining in, this is the first book written. This is the start of people's journey into Narnia if they were a 1950 uh, child. Um, and so this is this is his first book where he really dives into Narnia. And so you're not going to see anything where he's like, but you can read about that in other books. Because yeah, probably not. Point, Those didn't assume. exist yet. Um, so he so does still have a narrative voice. Maybe his foreshadowing will be better this time. <laughs> maybe he'll be a little more subtle. But I also don't want to give him too much credit here. Yeah, so, probably not. It's still a children's book. Still a children's book. But, you know, let's let's just dive in. So we are immediately introduced in the first line of the first book to our four main characters, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Those are the Pevensey children. They're about to be our main characters. And they are sent away to a countryside home uh, with... So this is... I. This is interesting, right? So I've got a few points. First of all, this is they are escaping London during the Blitzkrieg air raids that happened in 1940, 41, 42, 43. Um, and so they are leaving uh, London to go to the countryside where their uncle, a professor, lives. Does it say uncle? Uh, maybe it doesn't. Maybe I just assume. It could be just an old professor I don't is, think it uh, and is this a am I being Mandela affected right now? I think so. I, I've got some opinions about this. Yeah, go thoughts. for it. Yes. Because all we're told about this old professor, this old old man living in the countryside with his servants, is yes. that he doesn't have a wife. Yes. And, and it's not Polly. Yeah. I guess she just wanted to be friends. Um I just I, I had to think about and speculate about how we got from the last book to this moment, right? Like Correct, I'm assuming yeah. his mom and dad died when the apples ran out. Um, maybe Polly didn't visit for every holiday. Maybe that was just when they were kids. Maybe. Or maybe what if these kids, the Pevensies, are related to Polly, not Diggory? This is interesting. Like, we, I don't think we're told they're related. We're just told he's a professor we know Diggory doesn't have any siblings, so they wouldn't be nieces or nephews. He isn't married, so we can assume it's probably not his children or grandchildren. They could be cousins of some sort. But I kind of, my headcanon, that the Pevensey children are Polly's grandchildren. Man, this is intriguing, because I guess I had always assumed that they were related. I did, but- too. I thought he was is... going to be the creepy uncle as the nephew of a creepy uncle himself. Sure, but... yeah, it just made sense. But he he's a forever bachelor. Like, that's I, what, you I know, I guess so. And so he never had kids. And we read in Magician's Nephew, he never, he didn't have siblings. Yeah. And so they, these people must, e- like the Pevensies must either know of him as a professor of some sort, their parents knew him, or 
they were related to Polly somehow. Uh, but I, man, I for sure am being Mandela affected right now because I could have sworn they were like, like he was their great uncle or something. Yeah. I looked for it and I couldn't find it. But also yeah. we know that Diggory is an only child and that and he is not married. Never married and never had kids that we know of. Yeah, that, that uh, we know. Look, we don't know what Diggory's getting up to with his lion's mane of silver hair. Hey, well, all we know about Diggory is that between two books, there is some consistency in the fact that he still is very not great looking. Yeah, uh, they make fun of his face on the first page in this book, too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real rough where it's like they the kids are like, oh. They liked him at once, but he was very odd looking. And Edmund wants to laugh at him, uh, which is, and like Lucy's afraid of him, which like all things considered, Lucy, have some consistency in who you're afraid of. Like you're yeah, afraid of fair. like a weird looking old man and not a mythical goat man. True, okay. true. Whatever. I mean, one of those will take care of her. One of those will kidnap her. We'll see who's hey. who. Partially kidnapped. Attempted, allegedly. <laughs> no, no. He had, he he successfully kidnapped, but then like didn't follow he, through. He with gave it. her back. Yeah, it's not kidnapping if you give them back, Cal. So redeemable. He only like partially roofied her. Like he he cries about it. So so this is all in the next chapter. We don't need to get into this now. It's crazy. Um, but so all that to say, uh, we are introduced to Professor Diggory. Uh, I guess Professor Kirk is more like it, but you know, it's Diggory. Uh, no Polly uh, until last battle. So sorry, Polly, you are not important enough for this chapter. Uh, and then it provides the names of three servants, Ivy, Margaret, and Betty. Thanks for that. Though it immediately says, don't worry about them. They're not important. They're not going to come up in the rest of this book. Why, why right. do we need to know how many servants he has if they don't come up? Why share their names? This is just a weird, a weird brag that you have four servants. Yeah, for an unmarried bachelor who's kind of weird. Yeah, also know. unmarried bachelor with a house full of women. I'm, I smell cult, not, not rich <laughs> professor. <laughs> this, uh, it's an option, but I would like to assume that Diggory is a morally, you know, correct old man. He, though he's odd looking, he doesn't inherit that quality from his uncle. I, I would like to assume that he, you know, broke the trend. I mean, we can hope that he's not cornering people in the billiard room talking about strange women, but... Hey, they're, uh, you know, we are not given any clues to that, so I, I'm i just going to assume that trait died with Uncle Andrew. Unless Uncle Andrew's still living, which wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I like to think that doesn't... he's in one of the coats of armor, waiting <laughs> he... to jump out at any moment. And trap you and tell you about a dim fine woman. <laughs> dim fine. Dim fine. But it's uh it's great going going back to the chapter uh, when we get a lot of it's like he jumps in immediately and starts giving us some context clues about who these kids are. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate being able like this is one thing I think he does do well in this first chapter is he's he's really giving you a good glimpse at the personalities and characteristics of the children without telling you this is what they're like. Uh, he's not saying, hey, Peter's the oldest and he's the one that's gonna take charge and he's yeah. the one that's adventurous and positive. Uh, Susan is the second oldest, she's maternal. She's taking care of them because their mother's not here. 
Uh, Lucy is pure and innocent and naive. And Edmund's a straight jerk. He's a tool. No one likes him. Uh, right? He doesn't say all that. He just lets their dialogue kind of com- like just convey this message. Yeah, we get a, like, a good show don't tell here. Yeah, it's really good work here where, you know, Peter's the one that's like, oh man, this is going to be great. We could do anything. We can explore. We're going to have a great time. And Susan, like, she's trying to make sure everyone's well taken care of. And Edmund doesn't want to be taken care of. He's going to complain a lot. It's a common factor with Edmund that we'll see throughout this book. Yeah. Uh, and Which... and another factor that we'll see throughout this book is that Lucy, like very sweet, very innocent, kind of dumb, kind of <laughs> naive. And this actually builds into a few thoughts I have. Um, Good. Well, first off, shout out to Peter and Edmund for figuring out that the professor is a pushover right off the bat. We know from right. the magician's nephew that Diggory does give in to peer pressure easily. And oh, yeah. I mean, the big climax of the magician's nephew was essentially the same lesson that Neville had to learn in the first Harry Potter book, that sometimes you have to stand up to your friends. And, and that's hard to do. Yet, yes. In this it's analogy, only worth 10 points. But, well, you know. yeah, only worth 10 points. And in this analogy, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are the White Witch. Um, also, <laughs> it's well, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, speaking of Harry Potter, though, couldn't help but thinking about sorting the kids into Harry Potter houses as I read this section of the book. Sure. Edmund, quick to complain, and we'll see it throughout this book that he will go astray to seek his own ends. Has, has some evil tendencies. Uh, just a few. Just a few. Wouldn't be surprised if he was racist. Um, sure. Susan, oh, man. I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. Continue. <laughs> Susan is real excited about the books and reading. Obviously, yes. Raven. Obviously. Peter just wants to go on adventures and explore, yes. and he's the natural leader of the group, so seems yes. to be a Gryffindor. Also, in the movie, his color scheme was strong Gryffindor vibes. For sure. And Lucy doesn't get a say in what they do, but just follows along and is a little bit dumb. So obviously and it's super sweet, but like very lovable, very kind. And you know what animal she's most excited about seeing, Chase? <laughs> badger. A badger. I didn't You're, catch that. Bro, I, I didn't think about this until you were sorting, but I was like, holy cow, this is this is too perfect. JK Rowling for sure. Like, is okay, here's the deal. Are the four founders of Hogwarts actually the Pevensey children? Is Hogwarts in Narnia and the reason you can't find it on a map in Britain because you have to transport the take, yourself. The Hogwarts Express takes you into runs, Narnia. The Hogwarts Express actually runs through one pond in the wood between the worlds into another pond. It's you like kind of like a it. roller coaster, but you don't see it because it happens quickly. This is incredible, Chase. And also... We're we're going into this this Harry Potter world here. Like Peter I says, would love to go to Harry Potter world. It's really cool. It's really fun. You should go. It is fun. Yeah. I haven't been since they opened the new section, and I'd really like it's, to. It's really neat. I recommend it to anyone who's listening. But uh, they're talking about the house that you know Diggory has has built or whatever in this new countryside, uh, and it says like Peter mentions, uh, no one's going to hear them doing anything. Because it's about a 10 minutes walk from here down to the dining room. And there's any amount of stairs and passages in between. Do you know what this sounds like, Chase? It sounds like Hogwarts. 
this sounds like a place where there's a lot of moving stairs and passages and things that are unexplored. Oh, dang. I'm just saying. Are, like, are you telling me that these kids are in Hogwarts? I'm, I'm not not telling you it. Are, are you a wizard, Harry? I'm a Harry wizard. That, so. That's true. I can see your mustache. I'm rocking real, no one can see this, but I'm rocking real, like, Miami Vice vibes here. I've got my floral oh, Hawaiian shirt. And yeah, it looks mustache, a little bit so. like weed leaves. It's cool. It's hey, cool. it's not. I promise. They're palm leaves, uh, which is very holy. Uh, that's what Jesus walked on as he entered Jerusalem. So back up off of me, Chase. Whatever you say, Cal. Whatever you say. But back to, you know, these Hogwarts comparisons and uh, I like how um, it's back to the other tangent, not back to the book. <laughs> back to the tangent that leads me back to the book. So as I mentioned, Lucy, like they, they're talking about how they're going to go and explore. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, they want to so like Susan wants to read and Edmund wants to uh, complain uh, and Peter wants to explore and they want to go outside and find all these things and all these animals. And Lucy is super excited about finding badgers. And though that is a obvious Hufflepuff reference to a book that won't be written for another 40 to 50 years. Um, badgers, Chase, I'm wondering if that's going to come up later in this book. I don't know if they'll find any, but if they do, I bet they're really cool. I mean, I don't know. How cool can a badger be? They can't even talk. If they could talk, man, they'd be a whole lot cooler, but yeah, they probably won't because yeah. this is a normal That's... story about normal Earth. Yeah. The Chronicles of Earth. Which also, what mountains are in Britain? This is not in my notes, but I re as they're describing the countryside, it's surrounded by mountains and forests. Like, sure, there's forests. Maybe they mean mountains the way that, like, Austin uses mountains, like Mount Bunnell, where it's just a big hill. Yeah, it's if like a hundred foot elevation. Sure. If you're a, if you're from Britain, please tell us about the mountains in your country. We'd love yeah. to learn. We like obviously didn't do any geography studying of your country before yeah, this like podcast. Like Mr. So Tumnus, we're bad with geography. We'll find that out in a little bit uh, in next chapter. But, yeah, we just, we're curious. But... All is to say, they are excited about going exploring, and then guess what happens, Chase? starts what? raining. Oh. It starts raining. Crap. But at first I was like, oh, it's really convenient because this is a great excuse for Lucy to then find her way into the wardrobe somehow. But really, this is Britain. Why are they surprised that it's raining? It rains, like, every day. Like, yeah. that's a thing that happens. They should and definitely... Then, and if I've learned anything from watching The Crown... You can just put on your rain suit and go hiking in the countryside anyways. Absolutely. Queen does it all the time. And like Edmund goes, of course it would be raining, which I know that he's complaining and being like cynical here. But like, yeah, of course it's raining. Do you know where you live? Yeah. You live on an island. Do you know what happens on islands frequently? It rains. I don't know what you're expecting here. Yeah. So, it's just bad planning. It's but poor planning. But they whatever. decide to explore. They decide to explore. They're making their way through the house. And Chase, what what happens when they come to one of the rooms? Uh, Lucy really likes to smell fur coats. <laughs> you jumped ahead a little bit, <laughs> but she does. That's true. But those fur coats are found in a wardrobe. What? That's very unassuming. In the middle of an empty room. 
and everyone else is like there's nothing there this is a lame room in the house filled with a lot of really cool things let's go somewhere else and lucy's like hold on and shout out to being rich enough to have throwaway rooms in your house a throwaway room with a throw like okay here's the deal diggory is aware that this wardrobe is made from a magical tree like and he just stuck it in a random room like why is this not in his study why is this not in his room like yeah he must not be very sentimental if like this is built from the tree that kept his mother alive for years years yeah like and like yeah, made him is... be able to sell really like beautiful apples across england yeah yeah he was a classic snake oil salesman which again built on the cult vibes but sure sure but all that to say lucy decides to stay when all of the other children leave and she opens the wardrobe and as you mentioned she does love the good smell or the smell of a good old fur coat yeah. who doesn't Chase? lucy is really into the smell of dead animal carcasses hey weird but i'm with it i'm for I it mean, by the end of this book there'll be plenty and a ro- oof. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Sorry, was that too dark? I mean, it's a fictional story, so it's whatever, but yeah, I mean, it was a little dark. <laughs> You're not wrong, but. I mean, they're people sized animals, so they'll make good coats. Boy. This is they, bad direction. I apologize. Cruella DeVille over here. I formally but, apologize to all our listeners. Hey, to never apologize. Citizens of Narn- <laughs> oh, never right. apologize. Never apologize. I don't apologize. I Stop regret being- nothing. That's a uh. dim fine coat. <laughs> <laughs> but she decides, you know what? Let's, uh, let's see how many coats are in this wardrobe. Because she's not satisfied with just smelling and rubbing her face against the first one she sees. I mean, no, she is at the age where you have to go into the middle of the coat rack in the in the store. Yeah, she's hiding, but she's not like so. In the movie, they're playing hide and seek, and she hides in here. In the book, they're just exploring. Yeah, they're I was all... trying to think of that. Which I mean, to the listeners, we've only read the first two chapters so far. I don't know if hide and seek comes next when she gets back into Narnia or if that was just something in the movies. I was having we'll a real out. hard time know. reading over whether that was just what the movie did or what was actually in the book, which so it's far great, the movie has been very it's pretty like, consistent. On, on track with the book. Yeah. At least this one is. But Yeah. Yeah. Prince Caspian is not that. a movie. Well, it does, sure. doesn't exist. After, after this movie... You can kind of forget about the other ones. Uh, but she decides, hey, I'll try out rubbing my face on this coat. And then I'll go a little further in. I'm going to make sure that I leave the door open because obviously doesn't want to get stuck. Smart, smart. Everyone um, she, knows you shouldn't close yourself inside of wardrobes. This is just common everyone. knowledge, Kel. It's common knowledge. Uh, it's you know, a third in the hand is worth two in the bush. Don't lock yourself in a wardrobe. Yep. These are common things. Uh, and so she keeps going in further and... And further and she's like wow this is a enormously big wardrobe who would have thought um this is very deep and so she keeps going and going and then eventually she starts feeling crunching under her feet and the soft warm fur turns into soft powdery coldness and just like this is this is different and she immediately or like she eventually finds herself in a snowy forest this is crazy and chase 
before the first chapter is done, our main character is in Narnia. We don't know that yet, Kel. We just know she's in a forest at we, nighttime. But we know this. Clive is wasting no time at all here. Yeah, I think this is why, I, at least personally for me, I clung to these books over against Lord of the Rings. Because as you know, I haven't been able to get through the first Lord of the Rings book. Uh, love the movies. Still a big fan. Love his thinking and sure, sure. stories. But To compare for the listener, Lucy is into Narnia in the first chapter of the first book that is written. How long does it take in, to leave Hobbiton? In Fellowship of the Ring, which is the first part of the... You know, all of the books are supposed to be technically one book, but that's a different story. But in the first published book written, Fellowship of the Ring, it takes Frodo probably a hundred pages or like a third of the book to leave the Shire and deceptively years, dozens and dozens of years to do so, uh, which you don't really realize. Uh, in when you're watching the movie, yeah, I'm glad they cut like, that right, out. Let's go, agreed for sure. Uh, but yeah, so he's getting right into it. He's like, you know what? We got no time to waste. Let's I'll get to it. Narnia. I'll take it. Uh, and so does Lucy. She takes her way into Narnia, and she's like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, I've left the door open. She looks back when she's in the woods, and Chase, she can still see the open doorway. Do you think maybe like this is kind of sketchy? Real sketchy, but also, which, what happened to the coats? Anyways, but yeah, I totally agree. Like, she comes out of the wardrobe into these snowy woods, and sure, this is the moment of wonder, stepping into a world of magic for the sun, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what would go through your head if you say, like, open the shower curtain in your bathroom and found yourself stepping out onto a deserted beach? Yeah. Or like if you opened the door to a shed in the backyard and stepped onto a mountain, like if if you were Lucy in this scenario, like what would actually be a reasonable reaction for a normal human being? I don't think it would be, oh, well, I can still see the door in those trees over there into the house, I think on the second story of this house. I'm going to no. go explore by myself. Yeah, I would immediately call for my siblings who are all older than me, who presumably I have a decent relationship with, maybe not Edmund because he's a tool, but everyone else, I would call to them, especially because they're like, what, 20 feet away? Yeah. Like, and be like, hey, Peter, Susan, also Edmund, if you want to, but I'm not, you know, holding my breath, come check this out. I'm in the woods. Yeah. And I mean, I'm personally the kind of person who needs other people to verify that I'm not crazy in various situations. Usually just like, am I reading this situation right? Like, I don't think that went down the way it was supposed to. Am I right or wrong? But this is a situation where like legitimately like, no, am I going insane? Do I need to like go sit down? This is not normal. I've been in a wardrobe before. It Have you not lead me into a? I'm speaking as Lucy. She's you know she loves the smell of fur coats. Oh, clearly, uh, clearly, obviously. So she's been in a wardrobe or two, and they've never led to a a new world before. So like, maybe get some backup. 
maybe yeah. question your surroundings. But even once you get in, you can still see the doorway. And if you can see it, other people, or as we'll find out, mythological creatures can see it. And do you think they could go in too? But can maybe. they though? We never find out if other creatures in Narnia can see the door. We we don't get that, but if Lucy can, I mean, I assume that the eyeballs of her work the same as the eyeballs of someone else. Yeah, but later in this book, that door gets left open for like 40 years and we never hear no one finds it. Breaking. That's yeah, true. This is not a Jurassic World 3 or whatever coming they out just, soon. I think the, the dinosaurs just make their way into the normal world. Maybe you're right, Chase. Maybe only, you know daughters of Eve and sons of Adam can find this door into maybe the wardrobe. Maybe you had to but go through the door already to you. I don't know. Maybe, but this is not something that Lucy should assume. Like there, you could leave danger, especially like, even if this is in a magical world, this is the woods. You're basically leaving a door open from the woods to your home. What if there's a bear? What yeah. if there's like, I don't leave animals? the door open from my backyard to my home. It's a no. bad idea. It, at best, you're going to get a lot of mosquitoes and bugs. And like, it's cold. It's winter in Narnia forever. So you think bugs want to be in the cold? No, they go to yeah. where it's warm. You know where it's warm? Inside the middle of a bunch of fur coats. And so like, you're inviting some danger here. Yeah, those coats are going to get destroyed by moths. It, I mean, that's what pops out, you know, a bunch of mothballs. So whatever. But she decides, you know what, I'll I'll go some exploring. I can still see the door. And Chase, she happily stumbles upon a lamppost. What? Isn't that, isn't that neat? Look at that. What the heck is a lamppost doing in the middle of the woods? It's unexpected. Yeah, this, sure. is, this is such an unexpected meeting. An unexpected meeting between a girl and her lamppost. <laughs> uh, but what a it's a nice little callback to a book that hasn't been written yet, uh, you know, in, in our world. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's the famous Narnian lamppost. Yeah, it's almost like someone I don't know ran a horse-drawn carriage into an iron lamppost, broke off a piece, transported it across the multiverse, and threw it into the ground during a magical planting period where anything planted grows, even if it's not organic, or something like that. I don't. That know. That was weirdly specific, but I'm for it. I think I'm, you're probably onto something. I mean, it's really impossible to say. It's it is impossible to say. No one knows. But Chase. Wouldn't you know it? In addition to a lamppost being in the middle of the woods, supplied by seemingly no electricity or any kind of gasoline, um, a little a little person walks by. But it's not a is that is that a real person or a normal person? I mean, his his upper half looks like a human. He's got no shirt on, so that's kind of sketchy. But he's got yeah. a scarf, so that's cool. But also, his lower half is like a goat, and he's got horns. Chase, we've mentioned if you went into a wardrobe and came out into a magical world, into a new, into a forest, what would you do? Chase, you're, imagine yourself to be a young child. Yeah. You are in the middle of the woods and you see a goat man. What do you do? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot as I read these first two chapters and really... Just public service announcement to our listeners and, and to Lucy, our dear friend. Just dear some, friend some advice is someone who worries often about many a thing. 
we need to talk about something called Stranger Danger. The basic premise being that you shouldn't necessarily trust someone you don't know, especially because strangers if, can bring danger. Yeah, like say you're a young girl walking say. alone in the middle of the night in a strange wood, a yeah. place that you literally should not be because it literally should not exist because it's sure. inside it's of a wardrobe, Correct. and yeah. wardrobes typically don't have forests inside. Typically, maybe don't spend as much time observing the appearance of this strange goat man as considering the potential danger in the situation. Just a thought from a concerned a friend for your consideration. For your consideration. Yeah. Uh, but the good news is C.S. Lewis lets us know, hey, this isn't like a demon goat man. This is a fawn. It's obviously. just a fawn. Duh. It's, it's fine. It's a fawn. <laughs> it's fawn. <laughs> it's fawn. Uh, name's Korg. Uh, made of rocks no harm to you unless you're a pair of scissors just a rock paper scissors joke it's fun uh but the fawn exclaims to end the chapter in his most british way possible because c.s lewis needs to make sure that his audience knows that he is british he says goodness gracious me exclaimed the fawn just to let us know this is a british story just to let us know this is a british goat um, <laughs> he's not he's not like crikey mate that would be an australian fun <laughs> i'm he's glad like, that we uh we still have some cultural distinction within this yeah. imaginary world sure. that is Obviously. probably not going to be very diverse um so <laughs> with with our introduction <laughs> of mr tumnus the fawn kel i wanted to play just a quick game yeah, yes i love would you rather yes what feature of Mr. Tumnus would you most want and most not want? And and I'll read you a list of of our features. Sure, sure. So he's a short king. He's only a little taller than a young girl, and I presume she's yes. like eight or nine. Um, sure. Always have to carry a scarf and an umbrella at all times. Sure. Never be able to wear a shirt. Just not allowed. Mm. You're you're going full full Patrick. Um, <laughs> Have have hairy goat legs, inverted knees and all, uh, not to yeah, mention yeah. other goat things. Um, have hooves. Sure. Cloven hooves. Cloven hooves, yes. Uh, have, have a tail. Yes. Have a short pointed beard at all times. You must sure. upkeep it. Very, very Egyptian. But what we don't see in this story is how much work it takes to keep that beard like pointed. Like that takes He's probably some got some good beard gel or some oh, yeah. beard oil of oh, some sort. Yeah. He's got a good barber. And then I assume. Small horns on your forehead. What would so you most I, want? What would you most not want? I think the easiest for me of most not want is horns. Um, because uh I ain't no demon. Um I don't want no horns. Uh would rather not. Uh I feel like that's an intimidating factor for anyone looking at you. Um, but people... cou- counterpoint, you could, they are intimidating to anyone looking at you. You could assert your dominance just with, with a glance. I don't know if I want that, Chase. Like, I... Then why have the mustache, Kel? <laughs> Great point. Counterpoint win, Chase. Uh, this mustache is not an assertion of dominance. It's more 
it's me trying to uh, really inhibit my favorite version of me, which is Beach Kel. Uh, ah. Beach Kel is super chill. And so that's that's who I like to be. Um, and it's me trying to be Beach Kel 100% you know, percent of the time. But so I would least like the horns. And I think I would most like, I'm going to go with the, I'm probably going to go with Umbrella and scarf because just I just really embrace some bold accessories well like the the umbrellas because it's snowing so it's not like it's not serving a purpose and yeah, a scarf but you can always be have to carry an umbrella like, i'm fine with that if you remember from the movie, in my truck at he all has the umbrella turned to stone with him sure you know what chase it can be if i'm getting tired a walking stick you know what the scarf can be used as? A ton of things because scarves are very useful. And so, like, I think the joke's on you here. Uh, so I would, yeah, and I don't, I don't want cloven hooves. I don't want, I, I don't want, like, goat horns. I don't want to be looking like a goat at all. They're not very attractive creatures. So what would you rather have, Chase? Um, honestly, I think I would take the hooves. You would take the cloven hooves. Just the hooves, not the legs. Not the legs. Okay. Um, Why? Just less upkeep. I'm I'm not a foot guy. I know some people are into that. I'm not. Uh, it really hardy. Like you can you can go for a long hike and uh, and not feel it. Sure. Um, yeah, I just think it'd be easy easy to make it not noticeable, and it wouldn't hurt or be the first thing people notice about you you sure about that chase because you just you've you've just said you don't <laughs> want goat legs but you want goat hooves and so yeah. i want you to picture your leg for but me keep in quick. mind goat legs have inverted knees <laughs> sure i want you to picture for me your leg as it is right now you yeah. have a thigh and then a knee and then a calf with a those shin are, those are all things that i have yes so do you have an ankle? Is your I, foot just replaced by a hoof? Is do you have a a rotating hoof on an ankle? Do you have cow. no ankle and it's just shin into hoof? Cow, cow, cow. Goats have ankles. <laughs> you don't have goat legs, though. <laughs> I'm talking about a human leg. <laughs> Tell me how this looks. And I'm talking about replacing my human foot with a goat hoof. So your your leg gets progressively more and more skinny. I'm talking about right here. Yeah. Listeners can't see. I'm holding my foot up to the camera. I'm talking about right under the the ankle. Cut off. So replace with goat hoof. So you want to be a pirate with a goat hoof as opposed to a peg leg? Absolutely. Yes. This sounds I almost dreadful. Want, I almost actively want that at this point. Not I even feel... just as a would you rather. <laughs> just as preference. Chase, it just sounds nice. To quote Ron Weasley, you need to sort out your priorities <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, uh, which would you least like? Let's see. I mean, just to work. Th- I feel like the scarf and umbrella isn't that cumbersome. It's a little bit. 
I don't feel great about my body most of the time, so I feel like I want to keep a shirt on. Um, I don't want inverted knees, so that feels... I mean, the tail was a close second to the hooves. Um, A tail wouldn't be bad. I just... I just don't want to sit on my tail. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I got to agree with the horns because I don't want to insult our short kings. Yeah. But, I feel like the horns know, are the move. The horns, are, can, the horns suck. They would not I can be see their And they're not horns. even effective horns. They're baby horns. They're goat horns. It's yeah. not like you're getting like, like bull horns or like Viking helmet horns. Like, Do the horns kind of, at least come with like a concussion proof forehead. Like, could you uh, ram stuff with these horns? Your forehead is generally not what you're worried about with a concussion. It's the back of your head. And so you're still really susceptible. Yeah. I didn't play football. Yeah. That's, you know, it's tough. Cause like this part of your skull, is pretty solid, but like you're, you're, you get whiplash and whatnot, like from banging your head backwards and things like that. So yeah, and, and this doesn't come with a reinforced neck. It does not. And your horns are still baby horns. So <laughs> horns are for sure the, the the least favorable. But with that, Chase, would you like to dive further up and further in? I would. You want um, to start us off? Yeah. So, I mean, the title for my, my further up and further in was just Boredom plus Imagination equals Narnia. Um, Accurate. Yeah, I mean, the children have just arrived in the countryside. They're excited about exploring the mountains and forests and finding all sorts of animals. We've talked about this. Uh, they have all these plans, but sure enough, they wake up to a rainy day and they're stuck inside, so they decide to explore the house instead. And so the discovery of this magical world arises out of a rainy day stuck inside. And the metaphor is inescapable. Boredom and having to use your imagination is the entrance to another world. We talked at the beginning of The Magician's Nephew about how C.S. Lewis used the attic hideout, a place that he himself uh, would read and make up stories as a child, and that being the entry point to magic and adventure in, in our previous story. While we, as as a podcast, solemnly hold to the truth that Narnia is a real place and Lucy is actually walking through a magical wardrobe built from a tree from another world, 100%. the idea that the mundane places in ordinary life, an attic, a wardrobe, a painting in a guest room, can be portals to another world full of wonder is truly delightful. And this is the great invitation of fantasy stories in general. It calls us all to consider the ways that we can use imagination to breathe wonder into our ordinary world. So what if the next door you opened or the next corner you turned around was a step into a whole new world? That's what this it. book invites us into. I'm for it. And my, my further up and further in actually is semi-related to that. Uh, because it's dealing with the concept of escapism. And in particular, this is World War II escapism. So C.S. Lewis, uh, as we've discussed before, he fought in World War I. Uh, and see, so he knew exactly the uh, how devastating war could be and how the effects of war are very damaging and uh, could lead to a lot of trauma and uh, just also this, the flat-out disgustingness of like human bodies being like torn apart and hurt. And, and so he knows how bad this can be. And so this book 
is written in 1950. So this is 10 years after the bombings in London began and five years after the war ended. This is a book for children. And so his audience would have been very well aware of how harmful the war was. Uh, this was a brutal war, especially for England, for people who saw the bombings in London uh, and had to deal with all of that. And um, in 1939, this is a little fun fact, uh, is C.S. Lewis actually evacuated children uh, to his home uh, in the, like the countryside of England, which is really neat because this is exactly what happens in this book and that his home is supposed to be representative of the home in uh, the books, which is really cool. Uh, it's a very neat little like tie-in here. But uh, he evacuated these children in 1939 and then was turned down because in uh, World War II, he was only 40 years old, which was maybe a little too old for prime fighting age, but he wanted to go in and train cadets. C.S. Lewis is all about priming the younger generations, training them up how to do things well, but he was turned down uh, and decided to uh, become a broadcaster during World War II. And he would broadcast messages of truth and hope. He would broadcast religious messages and uh, try to give people something to cling to in the midst of really devastating times when people are being bombed and having to shelter in their homes he's broadcasting over the radio saying there is a hope that far supersedes the devastating consequences you're feeling and that's jesus christ and so he's doing this these broadcasts would be turned into mere christianity and then after this war ends he writes this children's book which is a way for these children in the story the pevensey children to literally escape the war and the consequences of it because they're going from London to the countryside where they won't be bombed and they don't have to worry about what's happening in the war. But then there's also an escape to another world. Uh, and this is where the readers who are young children at this time reading about, or they know about World War II, they lived through it or their parents just lived through it. And they, you know, it was right before they were born. They know how devastating this was. This is a, an escape for them from the harsh realities of what just occurred. And this is a common theme throughout fantasy novels and fantasy books is that fantasy worlds are an escape, a way to uh, use your imagination, to think creatively, to escape from the world that you are currently living in and be able to deal with things uh, in a positive and in a, in a way that is healthier, right? In this book, you're going to deal with warfare. You're going to deal with um, redemption and, and tragic loss you're going to deal with all of these tough themes in a way that kids don't have to just grapple with oh i'm looking at death right now outside my window but instead i get to learn about it and and grow and understand about it and so this escapism is not to be used in a negative context where you're just not dealing with things but instead it's trying to understand things in a in a beautiful and an imagery based way so i think it's really neat uh, just the way that he writes about World War II and World War I, even through his own experiences in this book. Good gracious me, Cal. Good gracious you. <laughs> we, we've stepped through the wardrobe into the end of our podcast? Uh, you know, uh, it's if it's not the end of our podcast, uh, it's the we're, beginning of a new one. Wait, no, that's We're sniffing the, the coats. We're sniffing them. Um, uh, and uh, we're, we're, we just love the, the smell of a good fur coat. And we love 
the smell of a five-star rating and some great comments on our Instagram. Uh, they're, they're delicious and they're an aroma pleasing to our soul. If you are a listener, we'd love for you to head to wherever it is that you found this podcast, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else, and give us a five-star rating. Let us know what you think. Um, follow us on Instagram at the, at the Chronicles of Podcasts. And uh, let us know, uh, comment on our page and on our posts. Let us know what you'd like to hear more, what you're most excited about with the upcoming posts and the upcoming chapters and stories uh, and engage with us uh, wherever you can. And we look forward to diving down uh, this beautiful Narnian rabbit hole with you. See you next time. Peace. It's tough because I both have but also don't want to. And then also I'm slowly realizing that I'm an old, old man and refuse to learn new technology. Like I don't know how I hit that point at 25, but I have and I refuse. Like I don't like new things. And 25 going on 75. I honestly, that describes my life in so many ways. (laughs) Hey, you know, it is what it is.